to cloud. Hello everybody, welcome to Nurse Practitioners Changing Practice and today we are joined by Amanda Brown and I am so excited to have you with us. How yes, you thank you so today? much. I'm doing great. How are you girls? Good. Great. So, so tell us um, a little bit about your background, your family nurse practitioner, your population. What have you gotten to, to do with, uh, yes. practice with? Yes. So I'm a family nurse practitioner. I have been since 2017 and I've been working in a rural health clinic um, for the past two and a half years, serving under, underserved populations in that area. We see a lot of Medicaid and Medicare patients in our area. I do a lot of urgent care walk-in type stuff. So things are always changing. It's always interesting. I stay on my toes for sure. And you see the full spectrum, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You never know what's going to walk in and, and it changes dramatically from patient to patient. So you always have to be ready to kind of roll with it for sure. Yeah. And what, Amanda, why do you like this setting? What, what, what do you like about this? What do you like about it? And what do you find challenging? So I really enjoy the fact that I can serve people that I live with in my community. I find that to be super rewarding people that I know and, and that know my family and people that, you know, the kids that are in class with my little boy and, and that sort of thing. I really enjoy that. Um, I also really enjoy the fact that things are ever changing and that you do really have to kind of keep up with everything and stay up to date on all of the different practice changes and that sort of a thing. I enjoy the fact that things are fast paced and that they change fairly quickly. Um, I did family practice for a little bit and I just really liked seeing a lot of different things and, and kind of having a little bit of a challenge here and there, that's for sure. So I definitely enjoy the urgent care side of things in, in comparison. The challenges are just that sometimes you just can be inundated with patients, especially since the COVID pandemic has hit, that has really impacted my practice significantly. So that's one of the things that I would say has been the biggest drawback of urgent care is that you never really know what's going to walk through the door and you never really know the volume that you're going to have. However, I have been tremendously blessed because of all the doctors that I work alongside are tremendous. I could go to any one of them at any moment and say, Hey, I really need your help on this. I've got a question. Can you come look? What do you think? And they're great about stopping what they're doing and, and coming to help me in any way that they can. So I'm, I'm super blessed that I work with five docs that are just incredible. And I also work with other nurse practitioners who are amazing. So I, I just that, love my that practice. Like That's really job. important. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It is like a, a close knit family. And, and I know people say that a lot, but I really, truly mean it. It's, it's just a, a wonderful practice to work in. It's great. Where well, are you located? So I, I um, practice in West Plains, Missouri, which is South central. We're right on the Arkansas border. Oh, yeah. wow. Yes. Yes. So the, the county that we live in has 40,000, uh, a population of 40,000 and we service approximately 10 to 12,000 wow. in our practice. So we, we do get to see quite a few people there. Well, you speak uh, in, in a language near and dear to my heart because I, I was in rural health for seven years and, and you're right. It is a close knit. So and um, yes. you know, I was a satellite, so that means I didn't have my collaborators with me, but still we, our little team became very close-knit. But now you took one step further. You decided to become Dr. Amanda Brown. I did. And you know, it's so funny because I, I've gone to school for so long 
And I had gotten done with my master's and I said, I'm just done with school. I'm not doing school anymore. And it was probably six months in. And I was like, you know, I really should get my doctorate. And so it just kind of was one of those stones that I had left unturned and I couldn't leave it unturned. I had to go back for it. So, and I'm so grateful that I did for sure. So why are you grateful that you put yourself through all of that writing? So I, I love the fact that it's a terminal degree. I love the fact that, you know, I've taken my education to a terminal degree. And that really means a lot to me. I'm the first person in my family for generations that has even gotten a master's degree. And so um, I love the fact that I have that, have that example that's set for my son for sure. But I also love the idea of being able to educate other nurses and, and kind of take them under my wing and show them different things, especially, um, you know, just because sometimes it's difficult. It's difficult for us as wives and moms and daughters. We, we all have different responsibilities and that kind of a thing, but to show people that you absolutely can, can do it. You can achieve it, set your mind to it. It's not, it's not a pie in the sky kind of a thing. It's something that you can absolutely do. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that I did it. Now, do you feel like it, it gave you that benefit? Tell us a little bit about your project. How did it impact practice? What did you learn about it? Um, yes. How did, it, how did you grow as a nurse practitioner because you took that extra step? Yes. So I really, really noticed, of course, right off the bat as a new nurse practitioner that there was an, an expectation of patients that they were going to be prescribed antibiotics and that a lot of times that it was not an appropriate prescription of antibiotics. And I found that a lot of times prescribers would go ahead and give that prescription, whether it was appropriate or not, for a a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I wanted to look at antibiotics specifically. But then when I started looking at the urgent care side, I noticed that there were a lot of patients who were coming in and being seen for UTIs. And then I would see them back in a few days, symptoms were persisting. And in looking back at the chart to see what was being done, that they were just being prescribed second, third, fourth line antimicrobials for their UTIs. And then it, it turns out that they were resistant to those drugs. And then they were coming back So there was an absolute cost associated for people who could not afford it. Um, They were filling medications that they were having to throw away essentially after two or three days. Um, And and just the extra heartache of having to come back in, they were miserable for an additional three to four, Mm -hmm. even sometimes five or seven days. Um, And so it really kind of had me looking at that and looking at ways that we were maybe not doing as great of a job and how we could improve upon that. And, you know, practice guidelines do change. And sometimes we kind of get in a rut and say, oh, you know, the last time I looked at this guideline, it was X, Y, and Z. And then when somebody pulls the guideline up, you're like, oh, I didn't hey. know. That you that kind of thought that it wasn't just the nurse practitioners that were messing up either. Yes, yes. It was all of us that were guilty for sure. And so I was just seeing a lot of people just throw in Cipro at whatever it was that walked through the door and it just wasn't really working out very well. So I really looked at a tool though, that really helped change things too. Yes, I did. And, and honestly, I, I had, I, I had never heard of an antibiogram, which an antibiogram is, um, 
a document that's put together by pharmacy generally in hospitals and the pharmacist will put together these different cultures essentially. So this would be a urine culture and then they show different antibiotics, antimicrobial resistance. And it's interesting because it shows what resistance rates are higher in our area. So maybe an antibiotic would be resistant in Chicago, but in our area, it would not be and vice versa. So it really helped us to tailor to, of course, we looked at clinical practice guidelines, but there was instances where maybe first line treatments would not have been the best in our area specifically. And so it helped us to know which antibiotics were resistant to, to which, which bugs and vice versa. So the antibiogram, I had never heard of it, but it's an incredible tool. And it's something that I reference all the time now. So what about providers? What did they say? Yeah. Yeah. So there were, of course the docs had heard of it and, and, and it was funny because they kind of were like, Oh gee, you know, this was something that we looked at more in residency, that kind of a thing, you know, some of the practitioners, one of the practitioners who had done a lot of in-hospital stuff was familiar with the biogram, but didn't utilize it a lot in our outpatient setting because we're not associated with the hospital. So we had to kind of look at what the hospital was doing and, and use them as a resource. So that was something that that she was familiar with from her hospital days, but had not been utilizing in the clinic at all. So there was, there's three of us nurse practitioners that are full-time there. And then we have a PA, the PA had not utilized it at all either. So it really helps. It it really helps everybody clinic wide, honestly. So what's the, I'm familiar with the biogram and um, reminds me, I need to look at the one in our area again. Um, um, I haven't in 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 a couple of years. Uh, I did in my previous practice, but what's the difference between utilizing a biogram and getting a culture? Like, you know, you see a patient and you're pretty confident it's a UTI and you start treatment, but you get a culture at the same time. Talk about what, what's the difference between- And what the clinical practice guidelines are for that. Cause you really right. found out uh, that there was- Yes, there yes. Was, so uh, differences in the clinical practice guidelines exactly. to what we were doing. Exactly. So, you know, and that's honestly what we did was that we did a urinalysis and a urine culture on every person that came in with UTI symptoms. If the dip looked like they had a UTI, then we would order a culture on everybody. And really clinical practice guidelines say that you should not order a culture first line on every single patient that you see. So really even it, not even the urinalysis, if they're symptomatic, correct. Or it's an uncomplicated UTI. We can go ahead and treat. We don't need that. Uh, That's just for our like comfort level, right? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't need to be done or spent money on. Right. And that was one of, honestly, I think that that probably was the hardest habit to break is that you are so used to culturing everybody for everything. Absolutely. And so it's like, gee, we really need to kind of look at this and make sure that we're doing things the right way. And clinical practice guidelines do not indicate that a culture should be done on, on the first, you know, right out of the gate. That's complicated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct. So yeah. You looked at all these people right now, we know yes. what clinical practice guidelines tell us. We know what the antibiogram was telling us what antibiotic to use in your patient specific population. Okay. Correct. So what did the results show? Were you, um, were we making progress by changing practice? Did it make a difference when we stopped doing urinalysis all the time? And well, what happened? 
Yes. So it did show that we had a traumatic or dramatic difference in prescribing practices. There were so many patients who were being prescribed medications that were third, fourth, fifth line, um, according to clinical practice guidelines and the biogram where people were getting Augmentin, Cefuroxime, tons and tons of Cipro, Leviquin, just antibiotics that were just not appropriate and they were being prescribed right and left. Um, so really we, we did a complete overhaul. I took some data, of course, before we implemented the change, we did a lunch, we should, we printed out everybody antibiograms. We had them laminated. And then we went over clinical practice guidelines. I printed out a lot of stuff for all the docs to reference and, and other NPs to reference as well. And we, we saw a dramatic change in the number of patients who were coming back with recurrence of symptoms and, and we really noticed that people had changed their prescribing practices tremendously. At the end of the collection, data collection period, there were only three instances in which an antibiotic was not appropriate, appropriately selected. Compared to... Yes. So to in what? comparison to, you know, at least, it was at least 40... 50%. It was yeah, 40, 50%. Yes. So oh. it was crazy to see. And it's something as simple as a urinary tract infection. Yeah, it's something so that... This yes. was just one. I mean, we're not talking yes. sinus infection. We're not talking no. viral versus bacterial. I mean, that's a whole new world. Or yes. Or, I mean, when you think of how much you've changed with just one. Yes. So were they impressed? Were your oh my gosh. impressed yes. with your, your project? Yes. And I, I think at first they kind of, I mean, they're, they're great people. I think at first it was like, yeah, we know how to treat the TI lady, go on, you know, but then at the end of the data collection time period, and whenever we went back to them to say, here's what I found, it was like mind blown, you know? So it's, it's, it was super great. Yes. Super, super great. How often, um, when you did your research or when you did your reading about using a biogram, how often do you, um, seek an, like an up, like every year, do you get us updated by, I mean, how do you, how often? Yes. Yes. Like they are updated. Annually. Is, it, is it annually or every three it's, years? It's annually at, at the hospital here locally. Okay. It may be more often in, uh, in other hospitals or organizations, but it's updated annually in annually. December here for us. Mm-hmm. Nice. And, um, when you, when you, um, when you received the biogram, was there a way for you to get updates or did you have to call back or was there a, was there a communication pathway for you to receive it? uh, Yes. Yes. So I um, am very good friends with a pharmacist at our local facility. Uh And so I, you know, wonderful resource. She's amazing. So I got tons of information on the updated biogram from her. Anytime anything changed, she would absolutely get in touch with me. So we had lots of communication back and forth. In fact, I'm sure she probably was tired of talking to me about biograms and all of that. Um, But, and the other great thing about it was that she sent me so many different articles and other resources that I could use for my project, which ended up being so super helpful. And yes, so she's incredible. And um, yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, absolutely. Having a pharmacy resource. I had a pharmacy resource in my last two practices. I had one because we had a pharmacy in the same office building. Then I had another one because I, I, I don't know how I, I don't know how, because I was in a, um, I was in a a clinic that had a lot of patients who were medicated and, and patient pay. And I somehow connected to a pharmacist in a, at a local um, pharmacy. And I don't remember how I did, 
but I would call them. Oh yeah. And I would say like, yeah. is the, I mean, can you tell me if you think how much this is going to be or, you know, what, what steps do you think? I mean, I know I have to go through prior auth or is there, you know, can you tell me from I your mean, experience? That's a donut hole, especially if it's a local pharmacy. And yes. They know yes. the patients as well as we do and where they're at and their They were, yes. I, I mean, I globbed on to, it was, it was a, both times I had, I had two practices in my lap in my other one where I had a rural practice and then one was at a health center, but they were both for patients that didn't have insurance mostly. And there was a, a pharmacist in that building. They worked for the hospital, but we sent our patients there for scripts and he just, He's like, call me anytime. And man, I probably called him a couple times a week. I mean, I just, you know, I just did. And it was great. And he was just, I, when I left that practice, I just, I just was like, oh, it was the best resource. Yeah, but they really are. And, and, you know, they are, uh, we need to, they're really passionate about antibiotic stewardship. And, um, you know, I'm sure they see patterns from different oh, prescribers where it's like if this prescriber prescribes one more z pack yeah they are they are a tremendous resource there's no doubt about it no doubt about it and not just like you guys said there's a million different reasons to consult with a with a pharmacist and they are generally more than happy to answer any of your questions and then some mm-hmm. yeah. well dr amanda brown how does that feel to say Dr. Amanda Brown? It is wild. It is just <laughs> wild. It's so great when you earn that and you're called that. That's just tremendous. Yes. It just makes it makes it worth it, doesn't it? Yeah. A thousand percent. It it, it absolutely does. Absolutely. So that education, that last question, how do you feel? If you're ta- if you were talking to an NP who's done with their masters and they're done, they never want to write another word. They're never going back to school. Why? What would be your pitch? What would you say to them? Why would you say you need to take this step? Yes. So, you know, I really think that there's just so much more to it than than what you really think as a master's trained nurse practitioner. You, You really see a lot of the same things that kind of circle around throughout your education. And I will say that in my doctorate program, I dipped my whole toe into something completely different than what I ever (laughs) expected. And it was terrifying, but it's been the most rewarding thing. And I will say that I honestly never thought that I would ever be interested in any kind of research and development or anything, statistical analyses or anything of the like. But once I got going, it was like, I can see that I'm making a difference. And you know, you can see where you make a difference with your patient when you, when you spend an extra 15 minutes and you take the time to really explain and, and you kind of put your heart out there for them and they know it. But when you can see that you're changing practice in your practice and that what you're doing changes how nine other people are also practicing and the number That's of people that that stuff. then reaches is yes. incredible. You know, yeah. it's incredible. And, and that is something- your results and you're going to present- Yes. Yes. And, and I just, I think that you don't realize that you can use your doctorate to touch that many more lives. You, you just don't realize it. And then once you're in the thick of it, it's like, oh my gosh, I I can't believe that I am at the center of this huge change that's taking place. And it's amazing. 
And that's why we become nurses. You know, I mean, that's the crux of it right there. That's we're still, we are always nurses first. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you could, I couldn't have said it better. I can see the passion. I can see the excitement. I can see that this was really something that um, you, um, and and I I know Dr. Zimmerman and me have experienced it as well. um, You don't realize that that doctor, what it's going to give you. No, right. don't it. and you don't, you don't realize how big of a, 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 a platform you can really change. And exactly. each one of us have had our own little pathways. But, but what drove that research was being in practice and seeing a problem yes. over and over again. Wherever we landed, you know, in my case, it was oral health, Nina. Uh, landed other places you know I think yours was more of a pulmonary background right with the asthma um, from for my master's yeah, yeah. Um, I had a master's in nursing ed and I did a lot of pulmonary uh, research and research coordination and then I went to into I did a different doctor I did higher education leadership doctorate and I I love it I use it every day yeah so each one of us has a different pathway but our journey has led us to that terminal degree and I, yes. I think um, knowing that you were able to do that and get to the to the highest point in your profession to make a difference is really worthwhile. And um, yes. I commend you. Thank I you. Yes, I do too. Excellent. Article. Yes. Keep up the and good I will work. say, yes, I will say too that you know nurses. The the great thing about being a nurse is that you can use your skills to do so many different things. And it's the same thing with the doctorate. Even though the project seems daunting, you find a topic that's interesting to you that sparks that sparks creativity and, and all of that. And then you just kind of run with it. And I really think that that's the other thing that's super interesting about it is that you could research literally anything. Okay. And 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 come out with some incredible, incredible information. Well, thank you for being a nurse practitioner who's changing practice. Thank you for having me tonight. It was so nice (laughs) to talk to you girls. All right, Amanda. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much. Have a good night. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. So uh, tune in next week for another uh, episode of Nurse Practitioners Changing Practice, and we will meet more people or talk about other topics that are important to you. Bye. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye.